Hello, this is Nancy Novak, Chief Innovation Officer for Compass Data Centers. We are getting ready to do pod- episode four for podcast Breaking Glass, and we have our esteemed guest, Janice Murray, ready for us to talk about implicit bias and, and the uh, way it impacts careers and confronting it in the workforce. Hi, Janice. Can you um, give us your uh, introduction and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, Thanks, Nancy. And I'm really excited to uh, talk about this topic because I think it's really important. Uh, My name is Janice Murray. I am based in Baltimore, Maryland, um, where I lead a consulting firm called Inclusion Impact Consulting. And the focus of what we do is really to work with leaders and chief diversity officers and others on creating uh, inclusive workplaces where um, all talent can thrive, grow and thrive, uh, improving diversity uh, on the work teams. And because we truly believe that that leads to innovation and better business results. Uh, in my corporate life, um, I spent uh, close to uh, 20 years actually doing diversity and inclusion work um, for a number of companies, um, the latest one being Exelon Corporation based in Chicago. And um, before that, I was in human resources um, as a human resources uh, generalist and was introduced to this work, fell in love with it, and just stayed with it for the remainder of my career. That's awesome. Well, it's so good to meet you, Denise. And I, this is one of my favorite topics because it's so misunderstood. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of talking, but I don't have the near the depth of experience in this as you do. Um, and I usually like to tell people that implicit bias is many times done with good intentions. And just um, it, it's based on people just not knowing what they're, what they're saying or doing based on their own experiences. So I, I would love to know from your perspective, what are some of your biggest challenges that you find when you work with companies to help them build diversity and inclusion and, um, and within those organizations, how to explain what implicit bias is and how to conquer it? It's a great question, Nancy. I think one of the greatest challenges is really recognizing that building an inclusive environment is, is it's a, a, a culture change initiative a lot of times. And that can take a really, really long time to do. And oftentimes it's like implicit bias, like you said, it, it's, it's not always visible uh, and it doesn't always feel um, as, I guess, concrete as, okay, I'm just going to bring in, you know, 10 women and bring them on this team or five people of color. This is really about what are the changes that organizations need to, to, to make to ensure that they have a diverse workforce and an inclusive culture. And many times, especially in the case of leaders, these are systems that they've built and grown up in. And now here I come saying, "Mm, maybe that's not working for everybody. And so um, helping them to understand that this is not about being wrong. Um, This doesn't make you a bad person, but this is really about thinking what are the changes that may need to be made within the organization to meet the needs of people whose needs may be very different than yours? And the, where bias comes into that is oftentimes we believe that we are making fully informed, objective decisions without recognizing the impact 
of bias because it's implicit. It's unconscious. We're not aware of it. And so kind of calling that out, calling that forth for people, it can be a little jarring because, you know, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a, you know, racist, sexist, you know, fill in the blank. And there may be some things that are taking place within the organization that are impacting them in a negative way. And so that kind of getting around to that thinking can be, can be challenging for leaders who, who many times are very, very well intended around this work. Yeah. And that, that's what I think is so fascinating. I had this um, one story that I think is in line with what you were um, just discussing. And then it was really about uh, one of the colleagues I had who was making decisions kind of on behalf of an employee thinking it was a really good decision um, for, for them to take family leave, but not understanding that, um, you know, that that decision should reside with the employee because they might choose to do something different. And it was really eye-opening. It was when I, when I got through the conversation with him, he was like, oh my God, I just never, I never would have thought that way. And I said, well, it would be really hard for you to think that way because you, you know, you've never been in, in the shoes of a female or in the shoe, you know, everyone has different experiences they bring to the table, which is kind of why I, I love to really talk about that whole, having that diverse um, setting in the decision-making rooms, right? So that you can, you can put those lenses on and even the leaders who have those good intentions can, can see through other people's perspectives, right? So that advancement matters. So Nancy, that is really a great story to share. And it causes me to think about um, a conversation I had to have with a leader, um, you know, on a similar, in a similar situation, you know, companies oftentimes have succession planning and, you know, processes that they um, go through to determine who's ready for advancement and promotion. So we're in the meeting, we're talking about the high potential and performance and all that. And a woman had just had a child. And so a very, very well-intended man says, well, you know, she just had this child and maybe she's not ready for this because she won't be able to travel. So I have a choice in that situation. One is to say, oh, wow, how nice of you to think that. The other choice is to say, really, have you talked to her about that? And that's the, that was my question. And he said, no. And he had exactly the same reaction that the person that you were talking about, not intended. Oh my gosh, how many times have I done this? So it's constantly, it's being on this constant learning journey of undoing some things that are so hardwired a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I, so that is, and that is obviously one of the elephants in the room, I think, when it comes to women of, you know, childbearing age and all of that. Um, but I, it's again, like I, it's so wonderful to be able to have the story where someone in the room had a different perspective and was able to present it and just bring the other person into that, you know, that realization that, you know, um, I mean, I travel, I've moved a lot in my career and, you know, three kids in tow. So, um, it's just, it's really a personal choice, right? And it's all about being able to have those choices instead of having those choices made for you. So I'm really curious, like in your own career experiences, Janice, you know, I mean, what have your experience done to help you when you guide these firms um, on their journey? Oh, gosh. 
That's a great question. Um, first of all, I, I had to learn, I probably didn't learn it as quickly as I should have, that regardless of people's experience with diversity and inclusion, that they are fully competent, capable human beings who may need some guidance and support along the way. And especially with white men who oftentimes are left out of these conversations. There, it's about having, it's about having the practice. It's about practicing these things, practicing seeking out other perspectives, practicing stopping yourself before you make that decision. Um, and so helping them kind of think through that as opposed to going into a place of shame and blame. Because once you go to shame and blame, well, who wants that? I don't want, nobody wants that. So just like that story we just shared about these well-intended leaders, let me assume positive intent, but also let me share with you the impact of that decision what you're doing to that woman's career by making that decision and not including her as part of the conversation. Um, the other thing that I've learned through this experience is how to bring myself into this and to share a story that might be personal and a little bit vulnerable. But I think oftentimes people need to recognize that, yeah, we're, we're two colleagues and we're two peers that are having this conversation. But here's where I've experienced some discrimination in my life. And here's the impact that it's had on me. And if we've built a relationship of trust, which is core to a lot of this work, then, you know, I believe that I can share that with you. And then we can talk about what that means. And again, not to not shame and blame, but just I need you to understand the impact of, of this on on me and on people like me, whatever that like is. Um, and finally, trying to understand what's important for them. Are you trying to hold on to talent? Are you trying to, um, are you trying to move into an emerging market? Are you trying to expand your business? Are you trying to drive innovation? What is it that you're trying to do? And how can this be integrated into that? so that it becomes a part of how you get there, as opposed to me saying, here are the three things that you need to do. I need to listen and I need to be able to ask questions. And if I can't do that, then I'm just like talking, 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 and I'm not addressing the need. I love that. I love that third part that you just talked about, because it is, you know, there is that business case, right? And understanding what their needs are, because there's, there are plenty of times when someone holds on to an employee and doesn't move them along because they're afraid of losing that talent in their own group or at that certain level. Um, I also, uh, you know, the first two points you made were so great because um, I like to tell people, you know, humans are very limited, right? Our brains only, we only know what we've experienced and what we've been taught. We just, we're, well, that's our limits. So we're all, we all have those biases. Um, and like, honestly, bringing those personal stories forward, I think are the things that probably really, resonate with folks, stick in their heads, you know, giving examples. Um, I, in my experience, I've learned that those stories are what really people take away, sure. you know, sure. Cause it, cause it, it makes that, it applies what you're telling them to real life. It makes it real and it makes it human. 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is the that shame and blame thing. That is so important to get over because um, the trust, like you said, it matters so much. And um, and just saying, hey, we're all human. I have biases. Obviously, I was you know brought up in a certain environment. The system, the systemic way I was raised has created the person that I am in whatever walk of life. And so, so the diversity that you get when you are become more inclusive, you know, just allows you to put so many different perspectives together, um, which is why there is such a strong business case, right? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, and I, I just have a, a quick, I know this, this sounds a little bit like, you know, uh, what we've been talking about, but I, I'm wondering like when you're, when you're doing your work to really help companies broaden their diversity and inclusion, um, you know, initiatives, um, what implicit biases, like where do you see the roadblocks? I mean, is it, is it more like in the promotion area or is it in more of the, um, you know, just the, the retainage, you know, department, I mean, where do you see the biggest roadblocks that implicit bias creates? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and oftentimes what will happen is the company will make great efforts to bring diverse talent in and not always recognize the fact that you're bringing them into an organization where, you know, we brought you in because there is a difference, whatever that difference may be. And the difference may not always be race and gender. It may be that you came from a company that's not part of this industry. So there's all kinds of, of dimensions of diversity. And then the person comes up with an idea that sounds different. And the first thing we say is, well, we don't do it that way here. So, so it's kind of like, okay, you kind of brought me in to be different, but now I'm, now I'm not allowed to be different. And so part of the bias or the, the reaction is, ooh, wait a minute, that doesn't feel right. That feels different. It may even feel a little threatening, like, wow, you're th you, you want to take something that we've been doing for 20 years and turn it upside down. And, and that can really not only stop the flow of new ideas, but it can also say to that person, I'm not welcome here. And so I may not leave right away, but I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave mentally that discretionary effort that a lot of all companies, I would say, need from their employees, the, the taking the chance to taking the, taking risk. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I need to do to keep a job until I go somewhere else or I just go somewhere else. Um, so the, the other thing I'll say, and you were talking about retention, retaining people long enough to get them into positions of leadership where they can truly influence, it can take a long time. And so what is the communication that that person is receiving about how they are valued in that organization? What's the coaching they're getting from their leaders? You know, what messages are they receiving? Because if, if I'm not hearing anything, I'm going to make up my own story, right? But if I have a leader who's saying to me, you know, I valued part of the team, let's talk about your development. What interests you? What are some things that you would like to do? Um, you talked about holding on to someone because you don't want to lose them. You're going to lose them anyway, because they're going to make a decision at some point to go where they feel that they can grow. So it's all these things that kind of go into the experience that someone may have that makes them say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to hang around here a little bit 
and, 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 and see if I can stay with this type of an organization because I've got someone who values me, who has my back and sees what I can bring. I've been trying to figure out on a personal level here and on a professional level, how to, you know, how to guide um, other leaders and colleagues. And when you see those different ideas, like you were talking about, when they come up, how to celebrate those differences instead of trying to mold people into a certain way. And sometimes the, it's the guise of trying to mold them into a certain culture, which I understand culture is important to firms. And we have a very strong culture here at Compass. Um, and we believe very strongly in it. But we also believe, you know, that we all have different personality profiles and understanding that is how we try to celebrate the different ideas. Um, but I but I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, construction is a very stodgy old business. You know, we've been around for a very long time and, it, and it's super hard to move the needle on getting innovative and trying to normalize new ideas when you've had this really, really old systemic way of doing stuff, right? So I'm trying to figure out like, what would the advice be to a group that, you know, where, where a new idea comes up and they're open to it and they, they recognize that it's coming from a different perspective. And um, even if it doesn't get implemented, at least it should be considered and the dialogue should stay alive, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, definitely. So one of the things about bias, um, oftentimes is that, as you stated earlier, it's, it's unconscious, it's implicit. We don't even recognize it. And we may be shutting something down without even realizing we're shutting something down. Um, and so, and especially if, one, one thing that I like to say is the best friend of bias is speed. We have to make the decision right now, it's urgent, We've got to do it right now. Well, do you really? Or is that an excuse or a way of dismissing voices that you don't agree with? So that's kind of one question. Like, do I really have to make this decision? Do we have to make this decision today? How urgent is it? Yeah. yeah how urgent right. is it? Mm -hmm. um, and there are some cases, you know, I was doing work with a medical system. Yeah, there's some urgency in the medical system. If I'm on the operating table, I want you to be urgent and I want you to be precise and I want you to be fast. But most of us are not doing that kind of work. So the first question is, does the decision need to be made today? And the second question is, or the second thing to think about is, what are the questions that you can ask to get more information? Step back a little bit and leverage curiosity. Why do you think that's important? How do you think that would help us? What things might you need to, to get started on that? Can we, can we try it a little bit and then check in and see how it's, how it's going? Yeah. I mean, just ask questions and, and, you know, what, like, why are you thinking about it this way? I'm curious about that and engage in conversation as opposed to expecting that everything has to be addressed right then and there in the meeting. And the other thing is, it's okay to say, can I get a little bit of time to think about this and come back to you? Yeah. You know, my, uh, my daughter, who uh, is a professor, she calls a little bit of this dialogue, the wobbly table and keeping the table wobbly is keeping the conversation alive. Even if um, yeah. like I said, something doesn't get Im Im embedded or implemented at, at that time, it's like, keep the conversation alive. But I love that advice on 
um, asking the why behind something and staying curious because then you, I think that would lead um, these other um, leaders to be more open-minded and then, and then we can recognize like, Hey, yeah, I know I've got a perspective that's coming from someone who has a different view. Um, and you, you just had said um, something about like, you know, we don't even know we might be shutting something down. And it made me think of one of my uh, colleagues that works for a very large global firm who has a lot of respect for the women in his firm. And he, you know, he says, I just want you to know, like, I'd love for you to come talk with my women um, because, you know, they're just amazing. And then he says on the same, in the same exact sentence, he says, you know, I could never do what I do uh, running this firm if it weren't for my wife who, you know, stayed home and took care of all the other, um, you know, things that life have. And I, I told him, I said, you know, I know that your intentions were really good when you just said that. And I said, you know, and I'm mature enough and and on in my career to where I don't listen to those things. And the reason why I said that is because you meant well, because you have so much respect for your wife and what she does. But what you just told a very young employee, in my opinion, is you cannot do my job unless mm. you have what I have mm. in, in, at home, right? Beautiful. And, I, and I said, I assure you, that's not true. I guarantee you. Beautiful. <laughs> you know, some young woman could do your job just as well or better with a whole different setup. And, and he's, and it was, it clicked with him. He was like, Oh, I didn't know I was, you know, I saying that I said with the best of intentions. And you, you basically just told this person you're talking to, you have to have what I have in order to do what I do. Right. Yeah. I, Oh gosh, that makes me think of a story. And this was, I don't know how many years ago, but I was just, I think it might've been my first job, my first real job in human resources. And, um, a, uh, we had some organizational change and uh, a man was promoted to be over me, to be my boss. We had been peers and he was promoted over me to be my boss. And I really didn't have a problem with that because we had a great relationship. He was really smart. I, you know, I was, I was good with it until the head of the department told me why he promoted him. And it was, it was the very same thing. He had his wife was a stay-at-home wife and mother. They had two young children. Now I had two young children also. Uh, and my husband and I were both, were both working. And he said, and you know, when I look at him, I see myself in him. Well, what in the world am I supposed to do with that? Right. (laughs) You know, and it was, and I just, I just said, well, that was some really great information for me (laughs) because and I started looking for another job immediately. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Because that's, that's bias at, you know, it's finest um, definition right there is you have to have what I, you know, wh- how I view the world um, in order for you to do the job that you need to do. Um, so that's, those stories are great. Yes. I think those are stories <laughs> that will resonate with our audience. Um, so I do have just my, I have one more question for okay. you. And that is, I'd like to know what some of your best tools and practices are to curb implicit bias at the organization level. I have heard of a term called um, it's like conditioning or something like that, where before you go into a, um, you know, a session where you're going to talk about raises or, you know, promotions that people try to condition themselves ahead of time to be aware of certain things. And I don't know if that's something you practice, but those tools would be really handy for our audience to, you know, to, to take away. So there is a tool called the ladder of inference. And this is something you can Google it. 
it's, it's, you know, it's out there. And what the ladder of inference talks about, and I think it can be connected with what you just shared. What are the, what are the steps that we kind of go through when we're making a decision? And so it's taking the data, how we've been socialized, what the messages we've been getting. And then we start to select the data and assign meaning to it. And at that point where we're assigning meaning, we may need to check in with somebody else and say, you know, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? You know, sharing any, any insights. Um, some of it may, and there's other steps too about, you know, once you do that, some of the actions you take. So that's one tool that people could use and just kind of take a look at and say, okay, these are all the things that we're doing when we think we're making objective decisions. And at what point do I need intervention? I need intervention when I'm assigning meaning. I need intervention when I'm going to take an action. Um, one thing that a lot of companies are doing, and I recognize this is not always possible, is when you're recruiting and hiring, having a diverse panel to interview and a diverse panel to be part of the, I mean, the manager ultimately makes the selection process, but at least part of the discussion around the candidates. So that's one thing if, if you're able to, to do that. Um, another thing is what data can you get your hands on? We haven't really talked about data a whole lot, but I worked for a, a guy a number of years ago who said, you know, the data will set you free because the data is going to tell you how, how you're doing. And if it looks like the same people are being promoted over and over and over again, it's time to stop and say, okay, what's happening here? and engage in that conversation. And again, step away from the urgency. Do we want to have this done today? Sure. Is it going to be the best decision? Maybe not. So let's take a step back and talk about what's really going on here. And again, that ladder of, ladder of inference where you, you know, kind of take in data, you, you make assumptions, you take actions, all of that is happening. And we are running up and down that ladder all the time, whether we know it or not. And then, you know, a, a, another thing that has been helpful for me in my career is to have one or two people that I know think and operate differently than I do to be allies for me and for me to be allies for them. Um, you call it your board of directors, your network, whatever you want to call it. But just having people that can say, ah, wait a minute, Janice, have you thought about this? And they've saved me from myself on many occasions um, to get me to just take a step back and say, okay, mm, maybe I need to rethink this. So advice. soliciting, really advice. you know, soliciting, mm -hmm. having partners and allies that, and you do the same thing for them, just kind of contracting with each other to do that are some things that I think about. That's fantastic. And the latter of, of inference, I think that is so important because I don't think we really understand um, what goes through our minds when we're going to make a decision. And, and, and it, what I've learned scientifically is so many of our decisions aren't really um, conscious, you know, they're, right. they're, they're not right, which is what implicit bias is kind of all about. So are there any closing comments you'd like to give us, Janice? Uh, any any wide words of wisdom or, words of wisdom. Um, okay. or, or like a, the takeaway message um, next steps for people to go, um, you know, try to conquer this because it's, it's, it's everywhere. 
And it's, uh, again, I think it's, it's human and it's not, it's not, I wouldn't say bad, good, bad. It's just, it is what it is, right? Absolutely. And it's that awareness factor. That's what I'm, I'm trying to figure out is how to make that awareness factor, um, something people, you know, can embrace. So words of wisdom, um, any takeaway messages? So, um, a few words of wisdom and you said it earlier, stay curious, ask questions and the curiosity can expand to how do you broaden your own exposure to different, to different things. Um, if, if you are a woman and you only read books by women, can you read books by men and vice versa? So, so just expanding your own view, um, through culture and arts and different things, you know, go to the, that African-American history exhibit that maybe you would never think of going to and learning about that. And so be staying curious, not only with others, but with yourself, you know, why do I keep making the same decision over and over again? Um, and how can you engage others in that? I think the other thing is, you know, and you've said it, we all have biases. Please do not beat yourself up and become paralyzed. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. I can't talk to that person anymore. Yes, you can. And acknowledging that there was a bias and that maybe I wasn't thinking about it completely and being vulnerable and just owning it and not running away from it. It's, it's just, it's again, being human. And the, and the last thing I would say is, especially if you're leading an organization, recognizing your responsibility, you've got power in that organization. So recognizing that you may need to be even more intentional than others around checking your biases and your assumptions. So just keeping that in mind. Yeah, yeah. Very good. I like that looking inward before mm-hmm. outward. I think that's, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so, so, so much. Denise. Thank you. This has been such a great conversation. Um, it warms my heart to see that there are like-minded people out there and that we are working towards a cause that I know is going to make a difference in the world yes. and in business. So um, let's keep up the good work. And thank you, Nancy. It's been great talking with you. Thanks so much. Mm.